we are uh, looking through Revelations 14, which is page 1243 of your Pew Bibles. The Lamb and the 144,000. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, and they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offers as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. The three angels... Then I saw another angel flying in mid-air, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those that live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice in heaven say, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour, for their deeds will follow them. Harvesting the earth and trampling the winepress, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap. Because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, 
and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel, who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles, for a distance of 1,600 stadia, this is the word of the Lord. I want to start this evening by showing you a statement, and it may be a statement that you don't understand. If you don't understand it, you're probably reading it. There are only ten types of people in the world, those who understand binary numbers and those who don't. But if you do understand binary numbers, you'll know that it actually says there are only two types of people in the world, those who understand binary numbers and those who don't. We can have a discussion afterwards about, about binary numbers, okay? Um, what a binary number is. Um, binary numbers only consist of one and zero. So um, there we are. Um, let's pray. Father, we come today as a group of people, a group of your people. We pray that you help us to hear, help us to understand, and help us to choose wisely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, our next slide introduces us to the fact that, as Eddie has already told us, we are, uh, well, it was actually news to me that we were coming to the end of this part of the series. I don't know how I'd glossed over that and missed it, um, but uh, we're, we're pausing our series on Revelation and going to pick it up later on. I was going to say we're in the middle of Revelation, um, and um, it's been quite difficult. Incidentally, if you want to go back to Revelation and take a, a quick look at it in about six minutes, this graphic comes from um, the Bible Project. If you look up the Bible Project online, you'll find that they do all sorts of graphic videos, including the one on Revelation is particularly good. Um, so we're in Revelation, and Revelation is very complex. Uh, or is it? Revelation is very difficult, uh, or is it? Hopefully, as we've been going through and as we will continue to go through, it becomes clearer. Because uh, one of the things that makes Revelation slightly difficult and complex is the numbers that are in it. Um, the number seven is particularly prominent. We've met seven churches, seven lampstands, seven spirits, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven stars... There's more to come, seven bowls, seven horns, seven eyes. <sighs> Let's not go through it all. 
We've come across the four living creatures that surround the throne. There are the 24 elders that surround the throne as well. There are some bigger numbers. Uh, Last week, uh, Matt introduced us to 666. Or was it just six followed by six followed by six? The mark of the beast. And then there's the 144,000 that we had in our reading this evening. We've also met some smaller numbers. We may have missed the number zero. It doesn't actually get a mention, but you may remember that when the scroll was first presented with the seven seals, then no one, that's where I find zero, no one was able to be found who could open the seals. But eventually one person was, that was the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, Jesus, who could open the seals on the scrolls, and we've also met the one beast. We've had one or two fractions as well, a third of the earth, a third of the sea, a third of this and that. Loads of numbers, and oceans of ink and reams of paper have been spent on looking at numbers, and um, we're not really going to go into all of those tonight, because what I'd really like to do is to introduce you to a new number that did not appear in our reading, and this time it's a real number, a literal number, and it is the number two. What's the first statement got to do with anything? Well, the first statement's got to do with, the thing is that it's to do with two. That's just a preacher's curious thing to get your attention at the beginning of a sermon. Um, But... We have already met two witnesses and two prophets and two horns on the beast, but tonight we see two parts, two parts, and we meet two groups of people and you will hear two sermons. Yes, really. We meet two parts two groups of people, and you'll hear two sermons. What are the two parts? Well, the two parts are, first of all, Revelation 1 to 13 that we've had up until last week, and it's mostly been about the devil trying to destroy the church and to destroy the world. There's been famine and pestilence and disease and and spiritual attacks and people... um, Suffering in all kinds of different ways. Trying to lead the world astray. And then there's Revelation 14 to 22, which we're having the first part of this evening, which, if you like, is increasingly, increasingly about the Lamb being victorious. God winning. If you like, the first part of Revelation is kind of a downward slope where things seem to be getting worse and worse and worse and more and more difficult. And the second part of Revelation is a rising slope as things get better and better and better. But here we are in the middle with Revelation 14 with a sneak preview, a bit like an advert break in the middle of the program. And uh, it comes quite conveniently because having been reminded, if I was ever told, that we're breaking the sermon series at this point and we're picking it up again later on. It's just, you know, some of the preachers don't pay attention in the meetings. That's what it is. Um, 
It's a bit like looking ahead and, you know, when you watch your, your box series on the television or on YouTube or wherever you do it, and they pause and they say, in series two, we will meet, da, 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 and they give you a preview of what's going to happen. And the preview is that we're going to meet two groups of people tonight, and we will meet those two groups of people again later on, particularly in Revelations 20, 21, 22, towards the end. So, who are the two groups of people? Well, the first group you'll find, if you've got your Bible open, you'll find in Revelation 14, 1 to 5. Uh, Here we have... The Lamb, the Lamb in Zion, in Jerusalem, and with him 144,000, symbolizing the church as we've seen as we've gone through the series. And here are this group of people, they're marked as belonging to the Father. There is music and there is singing. It's a very joyful scene that's going on. Why? Because they have been redeemed, that is, they have been bought back, that's what redeemed means. God has brought them, bought them back, and they are pure people, perhaps purified, and they have been purchased in that they now belong to God. Why? Well, because they follow the Lamb. You'll find that in those verses. They follow the Lamb. And verse 13 tells us that these are people who rest from their labors. So here is this first group of people. God's people, joyful, singing, followers of Jesus, victorious, worshipping God, surrounding the throne, with Him in heaven, at rest. And we will meet them again. In Revelations 20, 21, 22. So, who are the other group of people? Who are group two? Group two, you will find in Revelation 14, principally 9 to 11, if you've got it open in front of you. And this group is described by way of a warning There's a warning given. You see, the angel says, if, if anyone worships the beast, if anyone receives the mark of the beast on them, i.e., this group, they're not quite defined yet because there's this warning and they're they're being warned about what they might or might not do, but these would be those who follow the beast. They follow the world system that the beast symbolizes and stands for. In other words, they are a group of people who are not following Jesus, not following the Lamb. They are subject to God's wrath, to God's fury and anger. Why? Because they worship the beast and they do not follow the lamb. And they are tormented, we are told. They're not singing. And there is no rest for them. 
So here's the second beast, the, the second group. They are not purchased by the Lamb. They are not holy. They are not looking to God. Why? Because they're following the wrong leader. They're wearing the wrong mark upon them because they've got the beast mark on them. And they have no rest. So, we meet two groups of people. Let's go back to our opening statement for a moment. Uh, which I think is slide 11. Uh, let me get my slides in order. There we are. Yes. Here are two groups of people. We go back to our opening statement. There are only two types of people in the world. Those who are God's people and those who are the beast's people. And this, this is the result of the harvest. We're told that the angel comes and says it's time for the harvest. The harvest in which the world is harvested, that God's people are gathered and those who are not God's people are gathered. You may remember Jesus telling a parable about a landowner who sows seed in his field and he sows good seed in his field and when the good seed comes up they find that there's bad seed coming up amongst it as well and his servants say to him master what happened we thought you sowed good seed and he said I did sow good seed an enemy has done this but then they say well should we go and separate them out he said no 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 wait until the harvest and at the harvest I will get my reapers to separate the wheat from the chaff will separate God's people. Jesus explains the parable. The Son of Man sows the good seed. The devil sows the bad seed. Separate those who are God's people from those who are not God's people. Which prompts a bit of a question, doesn't it? Which group will you be in? Which group will I be in? Because... There are only two groups of people, two types of people. Those who are God's people and those who are the beast's people. But that prompts another question. And the question is, what is it that separates these two groups of people? You might say, well, it's the sickle, obviously, the harvest. Well, yes, but what is it that determines which group people will be in. We skipped over some verses in the middle, if you've got your Bible still open. We skipped over verses 6 and 7. It says this, And then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The angel is a messenger. And what he proclaims is the gospel. It is the gospel that separates these two groups of people. It is the gospel, or in fact, more precisely, people's response to it that determines which group these people are in. There are only 
two types of people in the world. Those who believe the gospel and those who don't. Which group are you and I likely to be in? What about those that we know? What about our friends and relations? Here at the middle of the book of Revelation, we find two groups, those who love God and those who don't, separated by their response to the gospel, and we will meet these groups again towards the end. I would love you to really understand all the details of Revelation 14, or the whole of Revelation. In fact, I'd quite like to really understand it in detail myself. But perhaps it's most important at this point that we understand what the gospel is because it's the gospel that's going to determine which group we are in. Which, as I promised you at the beginning, leads me to my second sermon. Second sermon begins with the question, what is the gospel? John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Perhaps after um, Psalm 23 verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, perhaps one of the better well-known verses in the Bible. You may know it yourself and know it off by heart. But I want you to notice here that the initiative for the gospel begins with God, for God. It starts with him. It doesn't start with us. For God, what? God so loved. The initiative is God's, and it begins with God's love. And what did he love? He loved the world. And what did he do with his information, that he, with his love, that he loved the world so much? What did he do to it? He gave. And what did he give? He gave his only son. That whoever believes, and it's more than just an intellectual belief, it's more about trusting, clinging to, holding on to him, that is Jesus. Whoever believes, trusts, clings to Him would not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. That's the beginning of the gospel. It begins with God, and it begins with God's love, and it begins with God giving. Should not perish, but have eternal life. What's perishing? Why would we perish? Well, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is breaking God's law. Sin, even if we try our hardest, sin is falling short. Matt was telling us last week that that seven in Revelation tends to be the number of God, the number of perfection, the number of reaching the mark, and six, the mark of men, is falling short. Six can never quite make it to seven. We don't make the grade. Who has sinned? 
It's there. All of us. All of us. You and you and you and you and you and me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, me, the vicar, the bishop, the king. No exceptions. All fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23, three chapters later, tells us the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and sin has its consequences. Death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God. God who gave us life. God who invented life. God who made life. God who gives us life. If we're separated from him, we die. Notice that it's a wage. Anybody off to work tomorrow? You go to work and you meet your boss and he tells you what to do and you go on and you do it and at the end of the week or the end of the month you get paid a wage. Why do you get paid a wage? Because you deserve it. You worked hard. You did what you were told to do. It's yours by a right. The wages, what you deserve, what we deserve, what we have earned, what is ours by right, the wages of sin is death. But, (laughs) it's always good when there's a but, isn't there? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They say that if you're in America, you can't preach about the buts in the gospel because in America, a but means something else. But, wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We said it at the beginning, didn't we? God so loved the world that he gave, and here it is again, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death, spiritual death, separation from God is not inevitable. There's a gift, God's gift, not earned, not deserved, not worked for, but it's eternal life. And where is this eternal life? This eternal life is in Jesus. Which prompts us to ask, how do we get it? How do we get it? Well, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps there are times where we don't feel like sinners. We say, well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. I've never robbed a bank. Well, it's not the truth. You may not have done those things. But have we loved the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength? We can't deceive ourselves and say that we're not sinners. But, he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's why we have a confession at the beginning of our services, to put ourselves right with God. And when we confess our sin, God, in his faithfulness and in his justice, he forgives us and purifies us. He washes away our sin. On what basis? 
just because we confess? Well, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can I know that God loves me? Well, God's demonstrated it. He's shown it. He's put it into action. He shows us how by Jesus dying on the cross for us. And he didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up, for us to get our act together, for us to be pure in our own right, and so we could stand and go and say, God, I'm good. No, no. He said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. So, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. There's the gift again. Not of works so that no one can boast. There's the repetition here. Grace. What's grace? The undeserved, unmerited, unearned love of God. That's grace. God so loved. That's grace. And we get it through faith. What's faith? Trusting God. Believing in him. It's not of ourselves. It's not me. It's the gift of God. We can't even boast about it. Because God does it all. By grace we have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works. So none of us can boast. And the consequence of that? John 1, 12 and 13, the beginning of John's gospel, the same John who wrote Revelation. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born of God. Right at the beginning, John is explaining that when Jesus came, not everybody received him, not everybody wanted him. But he says, to those who did receive him, to those who welcomed him, to those who accepted him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Are you a child of God this evening? Have we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Because we can become God's own children. In verse 6, We were reading that the angel says that fear God for judgment has come. Worship him. Well, at the moment anyway, the final judgment has not yet come. But that gives us the opportunity for us to fear God, for us to worship him. The angel warns that judgment is coming. I say to you, hear the gospel, the good news. Because judgment is coming one day. So receive Jesus, confess your sins, accept his gift of life. Be joined into his family. Why? Because God loves you so much. 
What about those of us who already believe in Jesus? What about those of us who've already accepted him and trust him and follow him? We were at home group last Tuesday and we were looking at Luke chapter 3 where John the Baptist was baptizing and people were coming to him for baptism. One of the things that John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Just coming and repenting and getting dunked in the Jordan wasn't enough. He said, go and produce fruit. And he told soldiers and tax collectors and other people ways in which they could produce the fruit of the repentance that they say they were having. Just accepting is not enough. We need to demonstrate it in our lives. Jesus said later on, he said, this is to my Father's glory that you produce much fruit. It's what we should be doing. He was talking about being the vine and we being the branches. And Paul says, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control. How are we doing? How are we doing? Have we accepted Jesus as our saviour? Have we accepted the gift of God that God offers us that we can become members of his family by grace through faith? And if we have, are we producing fruit in line with the repentance and the life that we say we now live? Let's pray. Perhaps there are one or two here who have never accepted Jesus as your saviour. And after what you've heard, perhaps you might like to accept Jesus as your saviour, in which case you might like to pray along with me now. Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for your gift of Jesus. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I confess that I've fallen short. Thank you that Jesus died so that I can be forgiven. Please forgive my sins. I put my trust in Jesus now. I receive him as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for making me part of your family. Fill me with your spirit so that I can follow you every day. Amen. Amen. And for those of us who do call ourselves followers of Jesus, Father God, thank you that I am part of your family. Please fill me again with your spirit so that my life bears good fruit for your kingdom. Please save me from a fruitless life. Please take away anything that prevents me from being fruitful. Please grow in me so that I can be more fruitful for you every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you want a list of those Bible verses and some questions to make you think about them, 
There's a few leaflets out on the desk outside. You can take a copy afterwards.